welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for October the 1st of 2019. Of course, my name is Samuel Adams and this is the Jam Pack Report, a giant conglomeration of the biggest gaming news of the day brought to you on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, as well as podcast services around the world five days a week, Monday through Friday. If you enjoy what I bring to the table, hit that subscribe button and stay up to date on the biggest news coming out of one of the biggest industries. But today, Sean Layden, the head of PlayStation's game studios is actually departing. Then we've got a follow-up on the Troy Baker story, uh, which of course involves him, his role as Reese in Borderlands 3, and the fact that he didn't get it for one reason or another. We've got conflicting stories, but it's totally worth talking about. Then, what's coming from Bungie after Destiny 2? Because, apparently, there's a brand new non-Destiny game coming by 2025. Then, we talk about the Atari VCS, the PlayStation 5, Brain Age on the Nintendo Switch, now called Brain Training, uh, which is a big win for me as somebody who used to play those games a ton growing up. And finally, you can talk to the baby in Death Stranding. Just kidding, he can only talk to you. But, I mean, you can talk back if you want. You just won't be able to hear you. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top gaming news. First off, Sean Layden, head of PlayStation's Game Studios, departs. Sony has announced that Sean Layden, chairman of SIE Worldwide Studios and a mainstay of PlayStation's E3 press conferences, will be leaving the company. No reason was given for his departure and a successor has not been named. Formerly president and CEO of Sony Computer Entertainment America, until Sony's regions were brought under one roof in 2018, Layden had been with Sony since 1987, serving in roles like VP of Sony Computer Entertainment Europe and president of Sony Computer Entertainment Japan. When Sony consolidated its worldwide PlayStation divisions into a single unit in 2018, Layden was no longer president of Sony Interactive Entertainment America, and the company said he would instead concentrate his focus on leading Sony's game development studios, which he did very well, I might add. And so this is the end of a generation, because for myself and many others, Sean Layden is the face of PlayStation. Of course, anybody who gives the annual E3 press conference tends to become the figurehead in a way, regardless of their position, and without a doubt, Sean did achieve that kind of iconography. Now, I will say, going forward, it's a strange time for PlayStation. Of course, there was no E3 show this year, uh, so is there really a need to have a face of PlayStation? What is his position in this entire thing? Uh, but needless to say, he still held a very important role in maintaining the fidelity of the game studios and the projects they were working on under the PlayStation brand. But going into the next generation, this is a very significant time to make changes because it's kind of the last stop uh, before the train is going back to the station, so to speak. That was a terrible way to say that, but you know what I mean. If you were to resign in October of 2020, that puts PlayStation as a company in a very awkward position because then you have the launch of this big console and nobody really to spearhead the games that are going to be coming alongside of it, nobody really to ensure the fidelity to maintain the discussion around the games that are coming as exclusives. And so to give the company time to find a replacement, I think was a pretty classy move from Mr. Layden. But no talk as to what is next for the individual. No talk as to what Sean is doing after this as of yet. I would love to hear more about his plans after the gaming industry or what else he is doing within the industry itself. But without a doubt, uh, massive moves over a PlayStation and it could show that things are beginning to kind of shake out for the next generation to take hold. But, Mr. Layden, congratulations on a job well done. Good, sir. It has been real, as the kids say. 
But let's talk more about Troy Baker and his Borderlands 3 drama because Troy Baker didn't star in Borderlands 3 because Gearbox wouldn't go union according to him, but Gearbox has responded. And so let's start with the original story. Following the news that Troy Baker would not be reprising the role of Reese from Telltale's Tales from the Borderlands in Borderlands 3, there were many questions as to why this was the case. Now, according to a recent comment by Baker himself, it appears it had to do with the fact that Gearbox wouldn't go Union. Speaking to VG247.com at a fan event for Troy Baker and Nolan North's Retro Replay, Baker discussed how he would absolutely... He was absolutely on board to return as Reese in Borderlands 3, but Gearbox wouldn't go about doing it the way that we needed it to be done. So they came to me and they were like, do you want to do this? Baker explained, which I said, absolutely. And then they made it impossible for me to do the role. It had nothing to do with money, nothing to do with money. They just simply would not go about doing it the way it needed to be done. So then it was like, I never said no. When VG247 asked some further clarifying questions as to if that meant scheduling conflicts or something else, Baker responded that it was because Gearbox wouldn't go Union. No, it was simply a matter of that they wouldn't go Union, he replied. And I can't do a non-Union gig. And without getting too deep into the weeds of that, we had long conversations about this. We always knew going into it that this was going to be the thing. They were going to take these characters and put them from the Tales, from the Borderlands series, from Telltale, into Borderlands proper. I've been waiting for this call. They were like, do you want to do this? And I said, yes, they never, because they would never move from that position. I'm not mad. It's invariably a completely different character, but it still stings. Prior to these comments, there was a back and forth between Baker and Gearbox Software CEO Randy Pitchford, with Pitchford claiming that, quote, he was told by the audio director that Baker turned it down. And now the update. Gearbox Software has sent IGN a statement in response to Troy Baker's comments from the story below. Quote, Troy is an exceptional talent and we were disappointed that he declined to partner on Borderlands 3 after being offered the part. We wish him the best and hope he knows the offer to collaborate with him still stands. Gearbox is a Texas company and is bound by Texas law, which means that a person cannot be denied employment because of a membership or non-membership in a labor union or other labor organizations. As a talent-owned and talent-led organization, Gearbox enthusiastically works to ensure our pay and working conditions meet or exceed union standards. We also believe strongly in hiring local voice actors whenever we can, which is why we are thrilled Troy's career really took off after working with us. Gearbox also provided a link to the website of the Attorney General of Texas regarding unions and Texas labor law for further background. So this is a giant mess, just in case you can't tell already, right off the gate, right out of the gate, right off the cuff, whatever you want to say. Uh, this is a dramatic situation because it seems there's a lot of confusion and potentially somebody's lying. I don't know who, though. Uh, and I think that it could be a simple matter of misunderstanding because these laws, they are in place. So, with that being said, there is no reason why Gearbox wouldn't go Union, because quite frankly, they have the ability to, they are forced to, they can't forego using somebody because of their affiliation with or without a Union. And so, whatever the matter might be here, uh, I think the truth is still coming out as the day goes on, and I would not be surprised if Troy Baker himself responded at some point today uh, to this discussion, but I've heard that Borderlands 3 overall is a fantastic game. I've heard that the gameplay is solid. There are some glitches here and there that are going to be patched out, of course, as more development is done on the back end, uh, but I have heard that the writing is not that great and that it does have glaring issues when it comes to the voice actors 
uh, specifically because of the lack of the original Claptrap voice actor, and of course, Reese is not Troy Baker, which is a bit jarring considering just how iconic Troy Baker's voice can actually be. Uh, but I do hope everything gets ironed out. I mean, that's the best that I can possibly say at the moment, uh, because I don't really know who to point the finger at. Not that finger pointing should ever be done, but I don't know who I would point it at if I actually had to. Uh, so that's the situation as it stands right now, but not a good look for Gearbox, not a good look for Troy Baker either. Not sure how that one will shake out. But of course, I will keep you up to date. However, Bungie is going to be releasing a brand new non-Destiny game by 2025. The D2 dev plans on becoming a multi-franchise entertainment company in the next few years. With Destiny 2's Shadowkeep expansion launching this week and years of content for the game already mapped out, it's clear the MMO shooter franchise is very much the backbone of Bungie's plans moving forward. However, it appears the studio's ambitions are not just limited to Destiny. Bungie is also looking to release at least one other IP in the next several years. In an interview with IGN, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons discussed the developers' plans to become one of the industry's best entertainment companies by 2025, and part of that vision involves not just continuing to redefine Destiny, Destiny 2, but also establishing other franchises. So by 2025, we have a pretty specific path to make sure we transform Destiny and that we have other franchises within the marketplace, Parsons said. We need to build our publishing group, but part of our vision is also to become a multi-franchise entertainment company. Parsons didn't share any details about Bungie's potential non-Destiny franchises, but the studio has planned to branch out from the MMO series for some time now. In 2018, Bungie received $100 million from Chinese internet giant NetEase, part of which would help it establish one or more separate internal teams beyond the one currently working on Destiny. In the meantime, Bungie continues to make big changes to Destiny. The studio is releasing a free-to-play version of the game called New Light, while the aforementioned Shadowkeep expansion arrives tomorrow, or now today, the first. Ahead of Shadowkeep's release, D2 has gone offline until the expansion launches at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on October the 1st. But very exciting because of the potential behind the team at Destiny, which of course is Bungie. More widely known, I think, for Halo. Of course, they were the original creators of the legendary, of course, Microsoft Xbox affiliated game franchise. Uh, but what could be coming next? I hope they branch out of sci-fi. Of course, Bungie is overwhelmingly a sci-fi company, uh, but to see them get into some other kind of genre, maybe even, just to see them try new things, give a team a clean slate and say, be creative, make whatever you want to make. That's what I think should happen with the team at Bungie. But without a doubt, glad to hear that Destiny is continuing. Of course, it's going to be a very significant part of Bungie going forward because it is such a significant part of the gaming industry going forward. However, to see new ideas, new IP, new franchises becoming a reality from the team behind Destiny, I am all for it and cannot wait to see what the company looks like by 2025. I mean, that's six years. That's a lot of time, especially in the games industry. I mean, we're going to be halfway through with the next generation of consoles by the time that rolls around, minimally. So, you know, that's going to be a big piece of news whenever it does come around, whatever they are going to be working on. But without further ado, the Atari VCS, something that I'm sure will be a hit for years to come, right? Uh, probably not. But the Atari VCS console is going to include online streams of retro games. 
Okay. Atari's upcoming retro-inspired game console will go beyond offering pre-installed games on the hardware and let you play thousands of other classic titles by streaming them over the internet. The Atari VCS is slated to launch next March with more than 100 Atari games on board. However, the company is also beefing up the game list by entering into a partnership with Antstream Arcade, a UK provider of retro game streaming to TVs, phones, and PCs. The deal means customers can get access to complete libraries of over 300 Atari games, in addition to more than 2,000 other titles for old-school game systems, such as the Commodore 64, Nintendo 64, Nintendo NES, and Sega Genesis, among other consoles, platforms, whatever you want to call them. The catch is that you will have to pay Antstream for access. Atari VCS owners will be offered a 30-day free trial, but then have to pay $9.99 a month, buy an annual subscription, and you'll pay $7.99 per month. When Atari VCS users log in or subscribe to the Antstream service using their Atari VCS, it will immediately unlock an exclusive and enhanced version of the Antstream app, engineered specifically for the Atari VCS, Atari said in a blog post. This enhanced collection will be exclusive to the Atari VCS at launch and will not be available on other Antstream platforms without an Atari VCS account. At first, the Antstream app will offer more than 50 classic Atari titles with other games added over time. Popular Atari titles appearing via the Atari VCS edition of Antstream Arcade include standalone retro classics from Adventure, Night Driver, Pong, Tempest 2000, and Yars Revenge, and full Atari compilations from PlayStation, Xbox, and PC platforms, the company said in a press release. So far, Atari has not announced what pre-installed games will be included on the VCS, but the partnership with Antstream promises to address any gaps in the full game list. Of course, the Atari VCS will start at $249 for the 4GB RAM-based model, making it far more expensive than other retro consoles, such as the Sega Genesis Mini, which launched earlier this month for $79. However, the VCS also promises to let you run newly developed games and stream 4K media thanks to the system's AMD Ryzen processor and Linux-based OS. Okay, let's break this one down. So first off, right out of the gate, cool concept to be able to stream thousands, potentially, of classic games to this console that is, of course, modeled after a classic console sounds really nice, but how many people are going to be going out of their way to, number one, pick up this console, which has yet to prove itself in any kind of capacity, for $250 minimally, and then pay an additional $10 per month, $7.99 if you get the annual pass, but $10 per month to actually have access to all these retro games. Now, some people would love to have this. The way that I look at this piece of hardware, if you have a game room, then that is where you could really have a lot of potential here because you have all these classic games. You can, of course, have two players if you do want to buy other controllers, etc., etc. If you are a nostalgia-driven fan, this could be a good fit for you, and that might be something that is worth paying for. But for the average everyday gamer, for somebody who likes to play the newest stuff that often kind of dabbles in retro and older games, this one just doesn't have the same bang for your buck. I mean, I can get retro games on my PlayStation 4, and it scratches my retro itch before I go back to play stuff that looks newer, that is more modern, and of course, as new games come out, I will return to those. Uh, but I just don't see the Atari VCS still really catering to anybody. Specifically, it just doesn't seem like a console built for, honestly, anyone, if I'm being totally, completely transparent. Uh, but also, I would say you might be running into a couple of licensing issues at some point down the line. If you have stuff like Commodore 64 games, Sega Genesis games, Nintendo NES games, 
Nintendo 64 games even, you probably don't have the correct licenses to really be playing against Nintendo when it comes to the Atari VCS. So I wouldn't be shocked to see some kind of lawsuit brought up about uh, this service. But hey, I suppose we will have to wait and see. But the Atari VCS again launching next March, uh, one of the most popular uh, crowdfunded projects in history, yet to prove itself, but still coming next March. However, let's talk about the new Sony pad that shows the PlayStation 5 could have a Siri-like voice assistant for in-game help. Uh, with this one, basically the title says it all, and here is an image of the, of course, patent uh, that you can see does show a mobile phone affiliated with a PlayStation 4 playing Horizon Zero Dawn saying pretty much Siri-like things. Ever wish Siri could tell you how to beat the freaky monster you are staring down in a video game? She'll probably tell you something about what restaurants are open nearby if you ask her. But a recently published patent from Sony outlines a voice assistant system that could link directly into the game, your console, probably a PlayStation 5, let's be honest, and your phone to give you tips as you need them. Industry analyst Daniel Zujx Ahmad dug up the patent titled Voice Help System Using Artificial Intelligence on his Twitter account. It was filed back in March and published on September the 26th, so if Sony ends up doing anything with it, there is a good chance we will see the patented idea on the PlayStation 5. Simply filing a patent is no guarantee that a corresponding product or product feature will ever make it onto the market, but it's enough to give us a window into what Sony's thinking about for its next line of consoles. According to the patent, the system will be able to take voice commands directly from your console via an activating phrase, in this case, Hey PlayStation. Several of the patent illustrations used Skyrim, which is already playable on Alexa, as an example with a player asking about where to find a steel sword or requesting more info about an enemy. The assistant could hook into a deep learning engine to give contextualized answers based on the current state of the game, temporarily shrinking the game's screen space to display the answer next to it on your display. Or if your phone is synced up with the system, it could beam all the information straight there through a handy SMS-style conversation with your console. That deep learning engine could be the key thing to separate the Hey PlayStation voice assistant from just asking Siri or Google or Alexa for tips. Those other voice assistants aren't looped directly into your game, so they'd have a much harder time giving you a good answer if you don't know how precisely to phrase your question. Sometimes you just need to know, how do I kill this thing ASAP? Interesting concept. I'm curious as to how many people would actually be willing to use this because in my opinion, that's part of the game. You know, I like to grind it out. I like to mess around, see if I can figure out a way to get through a very difficult area without ever looking up how to actually do it. And even more so, is there really a market for this whenever most people have their phones right next to them and it's much easier if you are stuck in a spot in a game to search it on YouTube, figure out how somebody else did it literally within seconds and you can watch them do it. Uh, but I suppose whenever you have the Netflix, uh, whenever you have Hulu, whenever you have stuff like that, maybe a voice assistant on the console couldn't be that bad of an idea because it makes it very simple to get from point A to point B. For instance, hey PlayStation, play Netflix, boom, there you have it, you're watching Friends for the 15th time. Uh, hey PlayStation, play Call of Duty Modern Warfare, boom, boot it up, there you go, good to go. That kind of utilization sounds much more promising. I don't think I would use it uh, with these built-in game mechanics, but hey, maybe somebody could. I will say probably a lot of work for the developers, but that's uh, to be expected whenever it comes to the next gym. But a Google-like, Siri-like voice assistant could be coming to the PlayStation 5. That takes a lot of brain power, and you can practice up with brain training on the Nintendo Switch to get the gray cells pumping. Dr. Kawashima will see you now. 
Popular Noggin Exercise franchise Brain Training is set to return on Switch this year. The popular DS series attempts to keep the rust from settling into your gray matter by offering simple puzzles designed to give your brain a daily workout in regards to arithmetic, memory, observation, and other skills. Two new Japanese trailers feature players of all ages engaging in some typical brain training puzzles while also demonstrating multiplayer support and a brand new Switch stylus expected to launch alongside the game itself. Brain training for the Nintendo Switch will launch in Japan on December the 27th, but given the huge success of its DS brethren, a Western release is a no-brainer, pun fully intended. Uh, now, I, for one, am very excited about this because this was such an iconic part of my childhood. Uh, whenever I was a younger kid, I used to play a ton of Brain Age, which I believe, and you can correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, uh, was the Western release of Brain Training. And basically, it's a collection of mini-games, in a way, kind of like WarioWare, uh, that allows you to actually participate in the arithmetic and the, of course, basic addition, which is basically arithmetic. You, you, get, you get to participate in the, in the activities in a way that keeps your brain fresh, that keeps you up-to-date, up-to-speed. It's a good time to be able to dive in and, you know, give yourself a bit of a mental workout. Uh, but very excited to see a Western release of this. I think it's going to be a very cool uh, piece of tech to see on the Nintendo Switch because that's what I really consider it to be, just considering how much the game itself actually does. But of course, if you do want to check it out, again, coming out on December the 27th in Japan, but hopefully we'll be getting a Western release maybe sometime in 2020. And finally, Death Stranding's baby will talk to you through the controller. Hideo Kojima has upped the weirdness sounding surrounding Death Stranding even more, and I'm honestly surprised we've been talking about it here. Last week, Hideo Kojima tweeted that BB will be able to speak through the PS4 DualShock controller that comes with the Death Stranding Limited Edition. This edition will cost $399 and includes a themed PS4 Pro system. For those that don't know, BB is the baby in the weird yellow container that Norman Reedus' character Sam walks around with. Of course, it's unclear if this is specifically for the Limited Edition controller or if other DualShock controllers could be capable of this. It's known that other games have made use of the PS4 DualShock controllers, such as GTA V, which used the controller's speaker to play phone calls, police radios, and more. I will also say, I started playing The Last of Us again for the third time, I believe, uh, yesterday, and whenever you click the flashlight on and off, that comes through the PS4 DualShock controller. Never noticed that at the beginning of my first playthrough. Shadow of Mordor had ghostly whispers playing through the speakers and even the sound of grass as you rustle through it. There is no indication as to what to expect in regards to hearing the baby talk to us, though, through the controller, whether it's gurgling, cooing, or rather posh, spiffing an eloquent baby voice telling you clues. This seems like Hideo Kojima is hiding a lot of weird, pointless elements throughout Death Stranding, potentially adding more character to the game. Redis, for example, will punch the camera if the player zooms in on his crotch too much, which is fair. I think the author says. Uh, now, I will be clear, uh, to go back to this point right here, this seems like Hideo Kojima is hiding a lot of weird, pointless elements throughout Death Stranding. That is Death Stranding. I couldn't leave that one out on the table. Uh, but exciting to see these kind of little touches brought into the game. Of course, I'm not going to be getting Death Stranding on day one. The game has lost me at this point. It's just not a game meant for me. I've said that on videos before. I poke a lot of fun at the game, but it's just above my pay grade. That being said, I like it whenever they do use the controller. I like it whenever there are these small little details that really do bring out uh, the most in a game, and I think this could be one of them. So if you want to buy the $400 limit, 
limited edition PS4 Pro with the uh, pissed yellow controller that has a baby inside of it, uh, then by all means, enjoy it when it launches on November the 8th, I believe, uh, alongside Death Stranding itself. Correct me if I'm wrong on that date, but I believe it's November the 8th. However, with that being said, that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. Of course, I do hope you enjoyed today's show, and if you did and you're new, hit that subscribe button and stay up to date on the hottest gaming news of the day. But until tomorrow, you guys have a fantastic rest of your Tuesday. I will talk to you soon, and peace.